Welcome to the Sports Betting Preview Podcast Edition of The Preakness. This is your host, Marco D'Angelo, along with our highly regarded forum member, Prospectus. We're going to preview this year's Preakness, talk about the race in detail, and give you guys some insight to handicapping horse racing. Uh, Prospectus, how are you doing today? Uh, Very well, Marco. How are you? Well, uh, you know, the Kentucky Derby... uh, Nobody saw that coming, what we had in the Kentucky Derby. So, you know, we'll talk about that. But obviously, two big storylines entering into the Preakness for Saturday. And we'll get things started off. The Philly, the Freak, the Super Horse, Rachel Alexander, installed as the favorite in the Preakness, going to take on the boys after absolutely destroying the field in the Kentucky Oaks. What's your thoughts on the Philly coming to Pimlico on Saturday? That was the single most impressive thing I've ever seen uh, a Philly do on a racetrack. That was unbelievable. I, one of the guys on the uh, on the forum right after the race said, "Looks like she had a rocket somewhere," and I I have to agree with him. She was uh, she was ultra impressive, and actually in doing the figure for that race. Uh, the number I gave her is far faster than what uh, than what Bayer gave her, but that's actually uh, the lowest I could have given her. Uh, she was that's the fastest any filly uh, going two turns has ever run since I started doing figures. Well, obviously, there's a lot of talk, and you know, and being a horse owner myself, you know, I've been on one side of the fence on this argument that Philly should not race against the Colts, um, especially at the young age uh, of, you know, three. The situation is that uh, the horse racing theory is the Colts are so more mature and advanced at the early age that it's such a disadvantage for the Phillies. Um, Also, if you got a good Philly that's dominating the mares, you run the risk of, you know, having them go up against the race and, you know, sort of get their head kicked in, and then you get a mare which, you know, I don't want to sound sexist, but they are a different animal when you train. There's uh, certain trainers that do well with fillies, and they don't do well with colts or vice versa. And the fillies are very temperamental, like some of our two-legged fillies are. And <laughs> when they get, uh, if they get sour, um, it, it's not a good situation. You do not want, you know, a mare that's, um, you know, the whole month, like, uh, you know, on their time of the month, so to speak. And, that's a, a risk you run with doing these things, not to mention injuries. And I, and I know you've got a strong opinion about the injury situations. Right. I, th- I think that there is an opportunity here to make a comment about the, uh, the judgment involved. Um, certainly the decision to purchase this filly by the, uh, by the people involved was... Uh, you know, one you can't argue with. I mean, she's simply the fastest uh, female racehorse going around two turns that uh, has ever has ever lived, in my opinion, and I think in the opinion of uh, of most people who who do figures. Uh, Jess Jackson uh, certainly has proven himself to be uh, a true sportsman with the way he handled Curlin. I just think that there is some judgment involved here that is uh, somewhat questionable. Uh, as a premise, I don't have a problem with people running fillies against Colts. Uh, most fillies actually have their big growth spurt. Uh, later in their three-year-old year uh, in the fall. Uh, three-year-old fillies are often an extremely good bet, and this is something that the, the folks listening here on pregame should 
keep in mind. A, a very good bet going against Colts in the fall. Uh, <clears throat> they aren't uh, in their breeding cycle uh, like they are right now. Now, there are drugs, of course, as, you know, as, you, as you're fully aware, Marco, that are able to tame the, uh, the cycles that uh, female racehorses experience. But, uh, but, no, I think that there are some judgment issues in play here. And uh, I think if she goes into the starting gate on Saturday, on two weeks rest, uh, having run the fastest two-turn race I've ever seen or I've ever done uh, for a uh, for for a mare, then this is uh, this is a best questionable. The as you know, I like to look at races and I like to look at replays and you know then focus in because when you watch a race live, you know it's human nature. You're you're focused on you know either the horse you bet or the horse that's running away with the race, whatever. You don't see all of the different things that happen throughout the course of a race in you focus on things. We'll talk about the Derby in a moment, but I, I want to make a couple statements about the Kentucky Oaks and what Rachel did in that race. First off, this horse, that race, as fast as you said that it was and as fast as the numbers convert, all of that's true. There's a lot of people that are saying the Kentucky Oaks was a very soft field. That it may be, but what you can't take away is what she did, how she did it, and this was nothing more than a basically a workout. This horse just, you know, we have a phrase when a horse, you know, when you know a horse is totally fit and they're done with a race, it's how hard they blow, you know, their conditioning. She couldn't blow a match out after the race. She wasn't even breathing heavy. This horse galloped out, ears up, flickering back and forth that's a happy horse this horse showed no signs of just putting forth the effort that it did Kelvin Burrell in that race never and I can't emphasize this enough never moved his hands once in the race she did that all on her own and she got a last eighth of a mile in 12 seconds that last furlong in 12 seconds under wraps Pretty All impressive. True. Yeah, it, it really was. And uh, just a quick story. Uh, it, uh, the week leading up to the Derby, Pioneer of the Nile walked onto the racetrack. Now, neither horses were, were working that day. And um, Pioneer of the Nile uh, was uh, just out for its two-minute lick, as was, uh, as was the filly, Rachel Alexander. And apparently, Rachel was about, uh, started about eighth of a mile behind uh, Pioneer of the Nile. And she... Uh, both horses were just uh, were, were just galloping, and um, she just ate them up, literally. Um, uh, and, and again, they weren't working against e- against each other. But uh, you know, her uh, her ability to uh, what I'm told is that the way that she kicks her back legs, the way that she is able to create momentum from that is uh, is better than what a lot of guys who've been around this game for. You know, thirty, forty, fifty years I've ever seen, and uh, no, there's no question she ran uh, what seemed to be an effortless race. But I will tell you that a lot of conversations about this this week, and actually the last two weeks, uh, a lot of the time that you see a horse regress off of a big race, really the way that they that they that they actually appear to be going in that race has very little impact on the reaction that they will have. Uh, much like an Olympic athlete who uh, 
looks to win a race extraordinarily easily. Their body is still moving at the same speed it would take. As such, the trauma to a horse's body or any athlete's body to perform at that level still exists. So, uh, yes, you're absolutely right. She ran uh, what appeared to be an effortless race. There's always two sides of it. Um, I, I look at it from a somewhat contrarian view. Uh, she, she still ran that fast. And whether or not uh, she appeared to do it effortlessly, there's still an impact to an athlete's body, uh, a physical impact, to run that fast for that long. And uh, you know, we'll just see how it all plays out. I, I hope that she comes back safe, and I hope that she gets through the Pimlico and Belmont experience, presuming they do go to the Belmont after this. Um, you know, she is, uh, that, was, that was the most elegant thing I've ever seen on a racetrack, and it was, uh, it was a, I'm just glad, I, I'm just very glad I had an opportunity to see it. One thing that I'll say about her stride, and you touched upon it briefly, this horse covers the ground. She covers one of her strides basically is almost like a stride in a quarter of a normal horse. I mean, and that is where you're able to cover the ground and get the times that you get without taxing your body and expending that extra energy where you tire out. Um, One thing that, you know, there's things in racing, and I know you'd agree with this statement, the fact that there was really, you know, she only was next to one horse in the race. I mean, she, you know, just sat off the flank of the horse that was setting the pace. And then once, you know, he decided to make the move, uh, you know, she just, you know, blew by, got the lead. She was by herself the whole way home. There's a statement. You don't know how she will go when she gets looked in the eye. You know, whenever, you know, a quality horse comes up to her and then she has to battle. There's more trauma on a horse. You know, there's there's things that you have to look at in racing. And this is something that we're going to touch upon in another podcast. And I want to just say for a statement, one, I want to thank everybody at the forums at pregame. And you can follow all of Prospectus's um, insightful knowledge and writing about the races and picks that he has at pregame forums. But the response that you guys gave us for the Kentucky Derby podcast is what's enabling us to be here for the Preakness. We'll be here for the Belmont. And you guys are going to get a bonus today as well. We're going to be taping a second podcast, and it's going to be a podcast that there'll be no timestamp on it. It'll be an evergreen type podcast. It'll be about general handicapping. We're going to take some of your questions that you had that you were so good to hit us up with in the forums, and we're going to answer them. And this podcast will be just as timely if you listen to it today or a year from now. It'll be sound handicapping advice, and you're going to get it from two perspectives. You're going to get Prospectus, who is... I have to say, you know, and I don't throw out a lot of, you know, praise, but when it's there, I got to do it. You know, the knowledge that you bring to your handicapping of the horses, I haven't seen before. It is tremendous, and I got to commend you. You're going to get his side of handicapping. You're going to get my take two ways. You're going to get my style of handicapping, which obviously is not as in-depth as Prospectus's is, but you're going to get a second Look, and you're going to get a look at it from somebody that's on the backside. Um, I do own racehorses, so I know some of the things, uh, some of the situations where we'll talk about, you know, is there race fixing and some of the drug issues in horse racing, tote board analysis. I'll tell you all the different things that go on the backside of the racetrack where most people don't get 
the privilege of getting to ever see that. So I think that'll be a great podcast, and you can check that out. Um, it'll be up later today as well. But back to the Philly. You know, she is tremendous. Their storyline earlier in the week, and I'm just so glad that it did not happen. Um, I, I was sick when I even heard what they were thinking about doing. But some of the owners were talking about entering, double entering, and putting another horse from their stable in to inflate the um, entries past the 14, which is the maximum that you can have in the Pimlico uh, for the Preakness and would have locked her out of the race. What do you think about that perspective? I, I, absolutely. I mean, it was, uh, it was such a black eye. I mean, it really lasted for only about you know, a day and a half where they were talking about uh, the owners of Mind That Bird were talking about uh, trying to uh, motivate uh, some folks to enter horses and uh, so that uh, there were 14 horses and the key part of that of course is that 14 horses who had uh, who did not have to be supplemented to the race who were pre uh, who who were pre triple crown uh, bought in as such uh, uh, she would not have been eligible to run the most important thing though that uh, that came out of that or at least the, one of the most fascinating things is they're trying to justify it and they're they're calling the Whitney's and saying that you know they would hate to see mind that bird uh, not get an opportunity to win the preakness and hurt the uh, value of birdstone I thought that that was uh, you know probably the lowest point of the of the entire episode and everybody came to their senses I think on Monday morning and their you know media releases were sent out and made sure that you know Zayat said we're not going to do that I mean this is this is just not what we're going to do, and you know, for the good of the game, and certainly uh, for uh, for 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 the for the race fans, you know, we want to make sure that the Preakness has everything they can possibly offer. And you know, I, I I I'm just glad they did it, like you said, because this this is such an exciting opportunity for everybody to to watch this filly on Saturday, and to watch her go against the Derby winner, and to, you know, anything that brings the uh, the general sports uh, fan to racing is good because uh, you know uh, racing does not get a lot of po- positive pu- publicity. Let's just hope that she gets through it safely because the biggest thing that could happen, or the worst thing that could happen here, is if something unfortunate happened with her in front of a national audience, and that would just be tragic. Well, obviously, we had the situation uh, last year with eight bells, and you know it, it's bad for the sport, no question. Whenever. Um, a horse has to be uh, put down on a racetrack. Um, I wrote a blog earlier this week, you know, about the Preakness and the battle of the sexes. And, you know, again, I'm a guy that doesn't believe that the Phillies should race against the Colts. But as a fan of racing and being part of the racing game, I got to tell you, her being in the Preakness, and if she would pull off the win in the Preakness, would be the best thing for the sport that you could possibly have. The sport is in dire need of a superstar. Uh, it's what, you know, we haven't had a triple crown winner in forever. I mean, in the last decade, we've had numerous chances at a triple crown winner. We've gone to the Belmont live, but it just hasn't come, you know, happened. For the Philly to go in there and win, it would just, the 
the coverage that it would get from you know all of the you know ESPN everything everybody would know this horse's name and they would want to follow this horse and and I think it would be good for the game but you got to look at it from a handicapping standpoint and that's what we're here to do and I'm going to let you I know you you feel she cannot win this race you tell me why she gets beat and then we'll talk well, about Well actually let, let let me say that I uh, I think that the bet in the race is against her but I think she's the most likely winner, as I wrote in the uh, in the analysis. I think that she is about thirty percent to not hit the trifecta, which makes this uh, a very easy race to qualify. As far as uh, you know, what what makes this a good betting race? However, she is by far the fastest horse in the race. So uh, I do, in fact, think and this is seen, this will seem somewhat uh, hypocritical. I think she's the most likely winner of the race. That being said, um, I would need about four to one to use her. Very clearly, I'm not going to get anywhere near that. The way that we look at it with thoroughbred racing prospectus and everything we've done years is to try and create a set of uh, value quotients. Uh, what we think will happen in a race isn't so much about this race, if you will, Marco, but it's about the long-term profitability of what we do. Oh, with the uh, analysis that we put up at pregame.com, um, we looked at three key factors that we think are, are going to be the, deter- the determining factors in this year's Preakness. Uh, number one thing we looked at was the fact that uh, only four of the 19 horses in the Derby ran their race. The biggest reason for that was the new, bed- new medication testing standards in place at Churchill Downs. Uh, The top four finishers from each race uh, run on Derby Day were uh, tested. And we were right, by the way, in the podcast that, uh, from what we hear at least, the samples were frozen to to allow for future testing as technology improves. They also changed labs. Apparently very important because there's a drug that they're able to test for now that they weren't able to test for in the past. And it's called clenbuterol. I know you're familiar with Mm -hmm. it being a horse owner. Uh, while very few horses run their top, run new tops in the Derby for you know, a bunch of reasons, new distance, the fact that uh, you know, Derby Day is such a new experience for a bunch of young horses, but for only four of the horses in the race to run the race at all. And not only did a 50-to-1 shot win the race, but he buried them. And the spread, and if you do figures, and the guys who do figures are listening to this will understand, the spread between the first horse and then the next three horses. But then after that, there was a huge spread to the remainder of the horses. So uh, so many of the horses just literally bounced off the moon, X'd out in there that uh, I think that the, the medication issues, and talking to people in the industry here over the last two weeks, uh, that, that was generally considered to be the biggest factor. Now, uh, to prepare for today, what I've done is, is I've talked to a lot of people and really tried to gain insight as to what's going to happen at Pimlico. Uh, as we wrote this morning, very confident in saying quite a bit of difference. And um, for fear of, as I indicated before we went live, for fear of uh, not wanting to get myself in any more trouble, as obviously I have no problem getting myself into enough trouble as it is, uh, I'm not going to really get into it beyond saying that Really, the, the, the testing situation is going to be quite different at Pimlico. They will not be able to uh, test for some of the drugs that they tested for on Derby Day. So, A, that's a huge factor. 
second biggest factor coming into the Preakness as a related to the to, to, to the Derby. Uh, put up on pregame previously that as a general premise, we do not believe in the concept of a golden rail. The rail itself is inherently good as it provides the shortest path. Uh, ground loss is the most underrated aspect in doing figures, and one of the questions we're going to deal with in our next podcast is, you know, figures and, and, and how you do them, the importance of the buyers, and a lot of great questions from the folks at pregame about that. But we learned that, and would love to have known this before Derby Day, that the harrow on the tractor, this seems so ridiculous, but I'm told by so many people who actually know what they're talking about, this is true. The harrow on the tractor, to deal with all the water in that track, ran four and a half to five feet off the rail on Derby Day. So the tractor that pulls the harrow around that lifts that racetrack up to suck that water out. Now, a racetrack, as you know, Marco, is banked on the turns and is a crown in the stretch and the back stretch. So what you had there basically is all those races building up with the rail being pounded and pounded down to the point where it was a speedway. Now, I'm not talking about an inside trip. I am talking about the kind of trip that Burrell gave the winner, where it was literally skimming the wood. A uh, huge factor here, and uh, I think that um, it, it, aided, it, aided, it aided the winner significantly. The third biggest part that I want to talk about is, is Rachel Alexander and the fact that she is the second fastest female horse we have ever done and the fastest around two turns. Uh, to prepare for this, we broke down the last 50 females to run two turns within six lengths as fast as she did, and none came back to it again. That's zero. Now, a huge percentage came apart completely, bouncing off the moon in their next start. Okay? None of these have even tried to do it on two weeks, and no other spring three-year-old filly uh, has been anywhere near uh, close to as fast as she ran in the Oaks. So it's a general premise in the race uh, with the preconceived. You know, what do we like? Okay, we like the fact that despite the fact that the fastest horse usually is the most likely winner, she is susceptible and as such lacks value in this race. So what we want to do is take a position that allows us the, most, the best opportunity to create what we call long-term value. Uh, in doing that, we, we are playing a box against her, uh, an exacta trifecta and superfecta box of five horses who we think are the most likely, based upon our work, to perform well uh, in this year's Preakness. The first one we like is Big Drama. Big Drama uh, has never taken a step back, and uh, back as far as March the 28th, after the infamous uh, Dubai World Cup day, uh, we went home and did the figures for uh, Gulfstream that night, and uh, we put up on pregame right away that, uh, that the big drama ran, uh, the, you know, the, one of the top two figures, and the other one was the horse that, you know, was in the uh, nail-biting finish with it uh, in that race at that point all year. So David Fox has done an extraordinarily good job, I think, in handling this cold. The big question is, and I've got people looking at me sideways, because she's, this, this guy is bred to sprint on both sides. And, but what I'm saying is, look, this horse ran two mile-and-16th races as a two-year-old, won both easily. He, is, he has drawn the rail and is, very importantly, I think at least, the second-fastest horse in the race. As such, it makes him a, a, you know, a really high-value contender. Uh, the second one we are using is Musket Man. 
I would argue that uh, Musket Man received one of the worst rides in the Derby with Koa. Um, I wrote that my condolences go out to if you played this guy first in the first two spots. Why Koa gave up the, the rail, I have absolutely no idea. Um, he's probably been the most consistent of all the Colts this year, as I say. Uh, small regression in the Derby on two weeks is a bit of a concern, but his previous race wasn't a big jump from his previous top. As such, he's much more solid than others who will take a lot more money. We make him a value contender and certainly helped drawing the three-hole. Uh, Friesian Fire, who uh, I'm afraid I sent a lot of guys in that direction here, and if it makes anybody feel better, uh, you'd have had to go a long way to lose as much as I did, or my friends and I lost that day on him. Uh, I think that that, that, that some of the issues that we talked about earlier had a much bigger, uh, much bigger, uh, was a, were a much bigger factor in, in Friesian Fire's poor performance than anything else. Uh, very strange that the first thing we heard was that uh, tore a quarter and a bunch of scratches, and then uh, you know let, uh, just over a week later, Larry Jones can get this horse to work in 57 and change. Uh, it looks to me like um, uh, we're going to use them. Uh, going to hold our nose in doing so. Won't be our, our uh, win place keep play in here by any stretch, but is one of the ones we'll be using. Uh, general quarters is 20 to 1 in this race. Uh, I wrote that we found out he had a bit of an incident in a trailer earlier this week as they had to slam the brakes on. I guess somebody drive, drove in front of the guy, and uh, but apparently he's all right. Uh, worked well the next day. Uh, another one of the horses who we just don't just didn't run his race derby day, but in this case I think it's a positive, and I'll tell you why. He has got what we call a top bounce, top bounce pattern. Um, what this means is big race bounces, big race bounces. But really now with the really the the, the non-effort in the in the derby, really you can look at that and say, well. He, he just had a bit of a, a, a fitness-gaining workout at Churchill. At 20-1, to 1, I think General Quarters is an absolute must-use and a value contender. And the last of the five is the one that, frankly, since we did our analysis on pregame this morning, uh, we've had a lot of guys up here calling me asking if I need to go on medication, but flying private is 50-1. to 1. And I wrote here, let the abuse begin. But uh, some of the uh, all the chitty chat. And it's been great, by the way, at uh, pregame this uh, th- this week. Uh, we've kind of been hinting about a race in 1996, and it was the Pimlico, uh, it, it, the Preakness here at Pimlico, and there was a horse named Louis Couture's who we had followed all year uh, in Florida, and uh, just didn't like Churchill. Xed out completely, uh, stepped up and. And, and won the Preakness. Kind of been hinting at this guy uh, all week, and as there was going to be a bomb we were going to be using. He ran really buried races in the lanes and in Arkansas Derby and then bounced. The top uh, pair XL pattern, which is two really good races and then a complete bounce, has led to many monster horses hitting tickets in these big races. And I'm a guy who believes that in a big spot, Alan Garcia can give you a ride. Uh, five to one, we wouldn't be using them. At 50 to one, I think he's very, very live. Uh, some of the, so the basic position in here is this. We are playing against the top three favorites. Uh, Pioneer of the Nile, uh, and look, I know a lot of people think this is the winner. Right now he's trading over in England as the second favorite, pretty strong second favorite, too. Uh, I really respect the guys who like him. Uh, talked to a lot of people over the last two weeks who just think that this is a horse who uh, ran really good against the bias on Derby Day, uh, but in our database, we can show you example after example 
of horses who go from poly to dirt. Jump like pine in the, near the Nile did. You're just going to have to trust us that Byer has it wrong. Uh, he did jump. It was a significant improvement over anything he did on Polly. Um, we're using our database to eliminate the second favorite from our tickets as an underlay. Again, Pioneer of the Nile at 15 or 20 to 1 would be a much use. But again, we always look for value in, in a horse that, in our opinion, is going to be overbet. And the third favorite, and it's pretty clear who it's going to be, and that's the, the Derby winner, uh, Mind That Bird, uh, benefited so much we feel by the uh, bias on Derby Day. And what we're going to do is we're going to box those five. Big Drama, Musket Man, Frisian Fire, General Quarters, and Flying Private. Exacta, Trifecta, and Superfecta. However, on top of that, because we have got so many bombs in there, you know, we've got a 20-to-1 shot we like, we've got a 50-to-1 shot we like, uh, we've got Big Drama, who's going to be a you know reasonable price. Mind you, it's taking a little bit of steam right now. Um, we're going to use those five underneath of the Philly because in the Superfecta. Just don't want to get another situation like Big Brown where we walk away from a $22,000 Super because we're too stubborn to use her on top. So those five boxed uh, and then underneath the, um, the Philly in the Superfecta. And uh, you can probably tell by the analysis that we did on pregame.com this morning where we did the full uh, showcase in the Preakness that Big Dram is our key. Uh, we've been talking about it all week. Uh, this this is a colt who has got tremendous speed, and I really don't think he's going to lose any ground whatsoever. Uh, the, the trainer has got a remarkably good record in two categories, and we had a lot of questions about trainer patterns this week up on the site. Um, Fox has a good record when he removes blinkers, which, by the way, I think is an extremely smart decision stretching this cold out, and very good sprint to route. So he's had 49 days since the big race in the swale. Uh, I think that this horse is no worse than, than third in this race. We're going to play in win place and use him with the other five, and then underneath the, um, the filly. would also suggest strongly, as we've been talking about on the site today, too, that um, this is the back end of the pick four, and I know pick six, who was an extraordinarily good handicapper and uh, needs a lot of mention here on pregame. This guy puts up more winners than any pay site that you could ever want. So, you know, anybody who's going anywhere and paying for racing picks, I mean, to me, I mean, all you need to do is visit pregame and play what that guy plays every day, and you're going to make it a lot better than anybody who's charging you for their plays. But, uh, you know, he and I both agree. You need to be playing that pick four because – if you can use the value horses that you use along with the Philly and just look where you're at and say, okay, I'm sitting on a $1,200 pick four on the Philly, and I'm sitting on a you know, $10,000 pick on Big Drama. I'm sitting on a $12,000 pick four on Musket Man. I'm sitting on a $11,000 one with Frisian Fire, a 23000 one on General Quarters, and a life changer on Flying Private then we know, okay, that's going to dictate a lot of what we do here in the Derby. So that's kind of the, or pardon me, in the Preakness. So that's kind of the way I would look at it. And uh, use the, we're going to use those five and then protecting the super underneath the Philly. I'll comment on your selections. And I haven't made my final choices again. I'll do that Friday night. But uh, I'll start with the big drama in you know, we talked about the distance, you know, the concerns of if he can get the distance and you feel confident that he will. I can tell you this much from watching the replay of the swell. And I know this one's for Phil was coming at him and I know there was a disqualification and everything. But just straight up, 
they could have went around the racetrack another time, and this one from for Phil was not getting by big drama that day. Thank you, thank you, because I asked you to watch that because I respect your opinion to watch these races so much, and you know I'm I'm so glad you did that for me because I, I feel exactly the same way. The uh, the only concern that I have with big drama, and you're the guy that you know does more on the history when a horse runs a big race and how he comes back. I wish he had one more start in 2009. This is only going to be a second start. Um, you know, skip the Derby, pointing strictly to this race. Um, that I like. And, you know, you got the fresh legs. He had the, you know, the extra week there, but or extra two weeks. I like the horse. He's going to be in my ticket, no question about it. But I, I wish he just had one more race for foundation for 2009, and it would be no question for me um, that this horse would be on top of my ticket. Um, I'm going to go to the, the second story of, uh, of the Derby and obviously Frisian Fire. What, what happened you know, in the Derby? And this, this horse came up so hot on Derby Day. Once you had the scratch... With the combination of the rain and, you know, everybody looked at the, the races that uh, the Louisiana Derby, the way he destroyed the field on a sloppy track, they just bet this horse, they, they overbet the horse. There's just no other way to put it. Um, I mean, I was there with you. I, the Frisian Fire was a horse that, you know, you had to look at. I used him, Dunkirk. Um, but this horse uh, he had trouble with the start. Uh, no question about that at the race, but it wasn't that bad at the start that he couldn't have recovered from that and, and raced better. Um, I think the horse just wasn't right that day, and the situation being, um, for whatever the reason, whether he didn't like the track surface, um, was not feeling good that day, and we're not getting the whole story, whatever. I mean, sometimes these horses, you know, it's amazing. They can be good all week, and the more, you know, the morning of, they're off their feet or whatever. And just one little thing, they're, you got to remember, these are not cars. They're, they're not engines. Um, they're flesh and blood, and they change from day to day. Um, you know, just like humans, we wake up every day. We don't feel the same every day. There's some days that we, we just don't feel right. You can throw that out. I've seen so many Derby horses that, you know, disappoint in the Derby and all of a sudden come back with a huge race in, in the Preakness. Um, it is a big advantage, and I think you will agree with this. A lot of the horses that do race in the Derby have a, an edge in the Preakness. Everybody thinks the other way, the fresh legs in that, but these horses, for whatever reason, come back and race big in the next race. So I definitely think you got to look at him, but there's one horse that you, you totally didn't mention at all. And this is one of the ones which I'm going to ask you to go back and look at uh, the replay and just solely isolate this horse. And nobody's talking about it. this horse had problems in the stretch and still finished fourth. But remember it was a three way photo for second. I mean, it was three head bobs there. And I know where you're going here. It's Papa Clem. I know it. I know it. And, and you know, we said, uh, for us, uh, we're standing against him on his pattern. I've watched the stretch prob run probably, well, I'm going to say at least 25 times, and he was the toughest call in the race. We put that in our analysis today. I'm not going to use six horses. Um, for us, uh, the fact that it was a 
uh, the, the, the jump forward in Arkansas was huge, and he did make a small regression in the Derby, but I don't blame you. Um, I, I know he got banged around in the stretch, and uh, certainly I would talk nobody off of Papa Clem. And it's a horse that, you know, I, I got to admit, I'm going to be looking hard at, and, uh, you know, he's he's raced against, you know, all of the big names. I mean, you know, he ran second, you know, granted it was a seven, you know, seven length second to Frisian Fire, but he he was in that race. He he ran a tough race in uh, the the Robert Lewis, um, just finishing second to Pioneer of the Now. And, you know, again, I think of the, you know, I agree with you, Pioneer of the Now had the best trip of those three horses that finished second, third, and fourth. He, you know, that was the next best trip. Um, Mind the Bird had a perfect trip to win the race. No question about that. Everything opened up. That horse came, shot up the rail. Uh, Kelvin Burrell made one little du- juke outside and then right back inside. I mean, it, it was like he was zigzagging on a freeway, and it was nothing but clear sailing. Um, I just can't see that. And one thing we didn't mention, we have history in the making on Saturday too. Not the fact about Rachel Alexander. But never in the history of the Kentucky Derby has the winning jockey jumped off the Kentucky Derby winner to ride another horse. It's never happened before. That tells you how much Calvin Burrell likes uh, Rachel Alexander. Um, t- tough race. Uh, I look at uh, Papa Clem as a, as a major contender in the race. Uh, I agree with you. I'm not as impressed with Pioneer of the Now, even though the horse finished second. Uh, I think everything worked out for him. Uh, I'm going to have to go back and uh, look at uh, Flying Private a little more. Um, I can say on my first time through, uh, that one didn't hit the radar for me. But I, I'll Well, look. I will tell you that if you watch him in the Derby, then uh, then you will be one of the people who thinks I have lost my mind. So <laughs> uh, you're going to have to go back a little bit and watch the two previous as well. So. I, I will do that. I, I, I love, uh, you know, to me, I, I think it's one of the best handicapping tools that, you know, our generation, you know, of handy, you know, handicappers have now. Is Isn't the, it great? It really is. It's, it, and, you know, an ability, too, to do live ground loss. Uh, for, for us, when we started out doing figures, uh, of course, being a Canadian resident, uh, we, you know, we did the Canadian tracks. And we did, we've done live ground loss the whole time. And, uh, but uh, back right after the uh, Breeders' Cup in 2001, the Wednesday after it, as a matter of fact, we started doing figures for the U.S. tracks, our own figures, and uh, frankly, for every race run since '01, we have got the figure. And one of the reasons we can do that is the fact that we've got uh, live ground loss availability, being able to watch these races. So you're right. I mean, whether or not you're doing figures or just an expert on watching um, uh, replays and, and 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 horses and their, the way that they run and their styles. Uh, you certainly uh, identifying trouble trips. It's 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 the it's the new frontier and a great 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 tool for handicappers. It's something that we're going to talk a little bit in detail when we do the uh, second podcast and tell you what types of things that you should be looking for and how to use that to your benefit. One item that I want to go you know backtrack on a little bit. We mentioned Clem Buterall and you know most people out there you know other than you and me probably don't know what we're talking about and. What clembuterol is, is it's a diuretic, and right. it helps clear the lungs. Bronchodilator, and, right? Absolutely. And right. It's out of the same family as albuterol, which albuterol is legal in the United States. Um, right. It's what it's people that have asthma, if they 
if they're put on a nebulizer, you're going to be given by your doctor albuterol. Now, right. clenbuterol is stronger. It, it is a super, super um, drug to use, um, but they list it as a, a, a narcotic in, in, in the United States. And you can't race on it. And the situation it's is... Not a, it's not a race day drug anyway, and that's the big story about uh, what happened is that um, apparently they drove the, they, they brought those trainers together on the Friday as we put up in the uh, post derby uh, posts on the uh, on the website where we talked about the fact that we learned uh, post race that there was one of the trainers who had the uh, the meltdown when those trainers were brought together and uh, I guess it's because um, you know perhaps it's not a, a, a race day drug and perhaps a certain horse was. Uh, had been treated with it already, but you're right; it's very powerful. Yeah, and when they talk a about performance enhancer, it, it, absolutely, no question about it. And what it does is it, it, you know, it flushes the lungs and dries the lungs up. If you got mucus in the lungs or anything that's going to constrict your air passages, this is, you know, this is the ticket. Um, and you know, obviously, racing is all about getting your air. And if you you can't get your air, you're not gonna you're not gonna get the distance. And uh, if it's used. Uh, you know, on race day, you can't be. When they do drug testing prospectus, what most people don't understand, it's not a blanket drug test. They don't grab the blood and test it, and and they find every drug that's out there. The only thing that you're going to find in a drug test is the specific drug itself that you're looking for. And what happens, so you know, in the horse world, unfortunately, is you've got the state uh, labs trying to, you know, keep up to the chemist. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, They're always, you know, advanced technology. And if they don't know what the performance-enhancing drug is that that, that a barn is using, they can't catch them because there's no test for it. You have to know what it is to find it. And that's, you know, been the problems. And drug testing is very expensive. And they, you know, they do certain screens on certain things. They'll do things, too, um, where they call the black box, uh, where they'll check. um, This is going um, old school a little while back. But uh, one of the big things in harness racing was um, a thing called milkshaking. Um, Oh, yeah. It still happens in the thoroughbreds. And, you know, it, it's, it's, a scary, it's a scary performance. And what it does is it, it gives the same effect, if you remember uh, Prospectus, and, and they actually, you know, do use this. This drug has been used in horse racing. Um, several trainers have been caught with it. Um, but where the drug came about, where it got national notoriety, is in the Tour de France and with uh, bicyclists, um, yep. EPO. Yep, absolutely. And what doping. It, it's a situation that increases the oxygen that is carried through the blood. And all of a sudden, you get a horse that can run all day. I mean, it's like there's no, there's no end to the, you know, the air supply. And, you know, they're bad situations. And what happens, you know, on the top level, you, you will see less of these things at the top end of racing because there are so many more, you know, they have – certain times that the horses have to be in the detention barn. You know, it's a longer window so that most drugs, you know, would have to have already been administered and then they're going to start to wear off before race time. So you have the longer detention. Um, So you're going to have more honest racing, 
usually in the big races. Um, where you're going to see these type of things is with the cheaper horses, the claimers, um, you know, your overnight races, especially at the smaller tracks where they're not testing for everything and stuff's getting, you know, is able to get through. It, it you know, it's a part of the game I don't like. Um, you know, my trainer, you know, he races on nothing but hay and sunshine and whatever you're legally allowed to give a horse. Um, that's it. But you're always against, you know, the chemist barns um, and a joke about the clembuterol. It's not a joke, but I, I made a lot of money um, one particular summer at uh, my home track. And I'm not going to mention, you know, any trainers names, but the only place you could get clembuterol at the time was Canada. Yeah, and, we're bad up here. And he would uh, take fishing trips. And uh, <laughs> he went, uh, he, for whatever reason, there were some lakes he liked up in Canada. And every time he went on a uh, fishing trip for the next three weeks, his stable raced through the roof. <laughs> and um, every time I knew that he went fishing, I bet every every horse in his barn for the next three weeks. That's one of the best stories I've ever heard. That is great. <laughs> and, 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 and sadly, it's true. But a lot of these, a lot of these um, different uh, performance enhancing drugs or uh, you know, in this instance, it you know this actually helped the horse with you know with their air supply. Other things that people do is find ways to kill the pain on a horse. And what you got to watch, and it's uh, it's a handicapping thing that you know. Again, this is something better maybe for the second podcast. But old class horses that are in claimers, you know, you see, you know, it's a fact of this business. If you race a horse, continue to race them one thing's going to happen. They're going to break down at some point. They all break. Okay. And then once they have that bad injury and they come back, they're generally never the same. So you, you have decisions to make. You either retire a horse or you cheapen the horse by dropping them into claimers where they can find a level that they can win at. And, uh, again, not to mention a, any trainer's name, but this particular trainer – and a couple of his people that trained under him and then went out on their own all had the same M.O., and I made money watching it, is they would claim old-class horses that were racing in claimers. They had back class, but they're, you know, they weren't their former selves. Uh-huh. When they got to their barn, they found the Fountain of Youth somehow. And yeah. these horses, I know all about the fountain of youth. Okay, yeah. and and what it is is they had, you know, the theory is they had something that was a painkiller that was getting through. And if you have an old class horse that all of a sudden feels like his younger class days, he's going to dominate those claimers. And because they're cheap claimers, they don't they don't care if they do damage to the horse. And a lot of times, some of these. Some of these drugs that, you know, barns use that when somebody claims off of a barn like that, they're not getting that stuff anymore. And then the horses go total reverse and, you know, they're washed out and everything, especially an item like EPO, which is the blood enhancer. Once you take a horse off the EPO, I mean, it's like a horse goes through withdrawal. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's the same as clenbuterol. I mean, any narcotic painkiller, I guess, you know, the the horse is going to build up uh, a dependence on it. And uh, that's why, and, uh, you know, I know that uh, this is 
something that a lot of uh, handicappers look at. If you see, and I'm going to use the term move-up trainer because that's what I talk about, where trainers who uh, get a hold of a horse who's five, six, seven years old, and it just completely goes against the, the laws of progression and regression where a horse will have, uh, as you indicated, have some, a bunch of back numbers that were pretty fast. They, they go to one of the move-up trainers, and they're all of a sudden they found uh, the fountain of youth, as you put it. Uh, they leave that trainer. And uh, they get claimed by somebody who thinks, wow, you know, this horse is available for $12,500. Look how fast he's running. And they get claimed by somebody who isn't using the narcotic painkillers, isn't using the clenbuterol, isn't using the uh, EPO. And the horse actually does go through withdrawals. And uh, it, 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 not only do you have the aspect of uh, the horse not being able to perform as well because he doesn't have the drugs, he's actually not feeling well. He's actually suffering because he is unable to have access in his bloodstream to the drugs that his body had become dependent upon. And, uh, no, it's a shameful part of the game. But I will say there is hope. Uh, I think what Churchill is doing, uh, and along with the uh, NTRA, is a real step forward. And I think in the next three years, major racing will be essentially clean because I think they understand that the race, that the racing itself uh, is, is, in, is in really dire straits. And unless they get confidence or increase confidence in the general public and, and attract people to the game, betters to the game who do have confidence, uh, I think that uh, you know, they know that the sport has very little future. So while, yes, everything you say is in that incredible insight that you can provide as an owner, uh, is just great, uh, but I think that there is hope, and I think that there is real move forward in the industry. And I think what Churchill has done is a great first step in uh, in cleaning up the sport, and hopefully, what they'll be able to do is uh, is express the importance, or the NTRA will be able to express this no tolerance uh, policy to all jurisdictions and get New York racing and California racing. Uh, or California has actually done a pretty good job, but New York Racing in particular, to really look at what they're doing and clean up their act. Um, the closing thought I'll have here, and then we'll wrap this up, and uh, we got some great topics for you know our other podcast. But to me, I think it is just ludicrous to have different jurisdictions have different medication rules. It should be one. You, you have one racing body. It, it should be you know across the country. You can use this drug in all states or you can't use it the the fact that you can use a drug in you know new york and not be able to use it you know in another state is ludicrous and and i went through that you know for a lot of years in harness racing uh with um you know lasix and now you know everybody has it but you know lasix was you know a legal diuretic that did help horses that that bled and right. i know that uh, when I when you say that that sounds horrible because people don't understand racing. But when a horse is stressed, they will bleed into their lungs. Um, and obviously, if you're putting some fluid into your lung, you know it, it's almost like drowning. You you know you're not getting your air. Where what Lasix does is, is again another diuretic that will flush your lungs and get that fluid out. And that one is legal, and horses can race on Lasix. And Lasix is a human drug. Uh, if somebody's filling up with fluid in their lungs, that's, you know, there's two things that they do. One, they'll give them Lasix first to try to help drain, you know, drain it off medically. And if that doesn't work, then you got to go in and tap the lung and, and manually drain it, which is very painful. So, you know, there's so many drugs that are used for humans that are 
you know, also used in, in the horse racing industry. Um, you know, I, I never went to college to be a vet, but I, I can read x-rays now and I know all medical terms. And unfortunately I have a, the bill that I've spent in, uh, vet bills over the years. I could have had my medical degree, but that's another story. Yeah. Marco, you know, that's great insight. And now, as I understand it, uh, Lasix is a steroid as opposed to a um, uh, an actual narcotic drug, which means that Lasix actually, uh, as you indicated, is used on humans. Uh, as well, they have the Lasix adjunct, which is uh, just a, an extra dose of Lasix for ultra-bad bleeders. But a lot of people will argue that Lasix is actually a very humane drug in that it isn't as much of a... Now, it's certainly first Lasix, second Lasix is a, is a big factor, and it does move horses up difference being that uh, it isn't a super move-up drug and it's indicated to the public. So it isn't a form of insider trading where, you know, you don't know who's getting Lasix and who isn't getting Lasix. So it's a totally different thing. It's a, certainly uh, it's an entirely different drug from clenbuterol uh, than uh, or, or any of the other real move-up drugs like EPO or some of the other uh, you know, snake. One of the major trainers, as you are well aware, was found with snake venom, and uh, so he got suspended for a better part of a year. So, no, they try everything, and uh, we'll just uh, you know have to see it all plays out. But I think there's at least reason for optimism moving forward that that they do understand the importance of cleaning up the game and getting confidence in in big betters uh, in the game. So we'll just have to see it all plays out. Real good. Uh, one quick thing on Lasix, and you you made the statement of first time Lasix horses. Um, from a standpoint of, a, of a, my trainer and myself and being experienced with it, there is a lot of emphasis on first-time Lasix. And obviously, first-time Lasix means something because the horse had a problem, the trainer found the problem, and now they're, they're doing the corrective measure. Um, the thing about first-time Lasix to second-time Lasix, the first-time Lasix is a guess. Because now the horse is bled, the state vet scoped the horse after the race, saw the blood in the lungs, and put the horse on the Lasix list. You have to, in harness racing, you have to stay out 10 days. You can't re-enter the horse for 10 days. So that, in theory, it's giving you a chance to help clear the lungs up a little bit. And now you're going to, next time you race him, you're going to race the horse on Lasix. But here's where the dilemma is. You can give the horse from 2 to 10 cc's of Lasix. This is not a situation where more is better because when you're flushing the fluids out of the horse, you're also flushing electrolytes out of the horse. So if you go too high, you're going to actually dehydrate the horse. So you have to find the right level. So a lot of times that first-time Lasix is nothing more than an educated guess on the dosage level. And then they will adjust it from week to week to find the right level that's right for that horse. And the time of the year comes into play as well. The trainer will adjust the dosage in the summertime as opposed to racing in the wintertime. In the wintertime when the air, air is frigid, you know, if you're racing on the East Coast, um, Meadowlands, New York, the, the weather is so cold and the air is so cold, it will make horses bleeders more so because of that that cold air hitting them. But in the summertime, you got to be careful on how much you're giving to dehydrate the horse because the horse is naturally sweating more because it's hotter, and you know as you sweat, you're sweating out electrolytes. 
Hundred percent. Yeah, that's a great point. One of the trainers here at Woodbine explained to me years ago that on a really humid day, a horse on Lasix is a negative. Absolutely. So, I mean, there's so many just little minor, you know, things about horse racing that, you know, the average person just doesn't, you know, isn't privy to. And we're going to bring that from both sides of the fence. We're going to bring it from the handicapping side, and I'm going to be able to give you guys as a horse owner and, and a guy that's really been entrenched in the, in, in the game for, uh, I bought my first horse in 1986. So this is going to be great stuff. Quickly, let's wrap this up. Um, your top pick for the uh, Preakness, you like big drama, right? I do. That's my value play as far as who will be betting uh, in the race, and we'll be boxing those five uh, in the Exacta Trifecta and Supa, and then um, underneath the Philly uh, in the Super as well so that we don't uh, get locked out of a big score because there's a lot of big prices that if they run underneath the Philly, you could still hit for 20K in the uh, Super. So that's how we're going to play the race, and great luck on Saturday. I, you know, I hope you kill it, and uh, you know, same to the guys at pregame. Uh, you know, hopefully uh, some of the guys take down a really big score in the Preakness. Absolutely, and what I'm looking at, and again, I'll have my stuff finalized uh, for Saturday, uh, late Friday night, early Saturday morning with my plays, but uh, I agree big drama is going to be a, a major factor in this race. Um, I expect Friesian Fire to, you know, just – Take your pen and put a line through the Kentucky Derby and start from scratch. The horse will show up on Saturday. Uh, Rachel Alexander, uh, the, the, the horse is a freak. I'm going to have the horse around my ticket. I, you know, I know the value is not there, but I'm not going to have her run over my ticket on Saturday. She's going to be in my ticket. And as I said, you know, look at that stretch drive. Look at the problems Papa Clem had. And uh, this horse, he's a factor, I feel, on Saturday. Those are the four horses I'm looking at right now, and I'll finalize that up Saturday, exactly how I'm going to do my wagering. And, again, I want to, you know, thank you, Prospectus, for, you know, sharing all of your knowledge with us. And, you know, I want to thank RJ for letting, you know, me – you know, go ahead and, and let this vision come to light. I mean, I love horse racing. You can tell that. Uh, talking with you, perspectives, it's great. I can't wait till you come to Vegas. Uh, we'll be we'll be talking for hours. Well, and, you know, we're coming for the Breeders' Cup, so get ready. And uh, you know, it's really looking forward to uh, spending that day with you guys. And last but not least, I want to thank the pregame forums. You guys, the response. Thank you so much. This is why this is happening, and this is what pregame is all about. You speak, we listen. And, you know, get in there. Tell us what you like about this. Tell us what you don't like. Ask what you want more of, and we're going to bring it to you. That's what pregame is all about. That's RJ's mission here with pregame.com. It's my mission, and we're going to make it happen. We will be back with the Belmont for sure, and look for a second podcast up on the site. It'll be a how-to handicapping, and we're going to answer some of you guys' questions. Enjoy the Preakness on Saturday, and thanks for joining us, Prospectus. I'll talk to you in a little bit, okay? Sounds great, Marco.